Election College, episode 101. In this episode, we're going to talk about the man with more neck hair than you have ever seen before, Mr. Horace Greeley. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Jason, I've seen some bad beards, and I've seen some insane chest hair tufts coming out the top of the shirts, but I have never seen a combination like our man Horace Greeley had. and all of his representations show yeah i mean and ben what you mean for the audience who may not know what representations you're talking about even on statues of horace Greeley, you are going to see the most epic amazing i don't know to call it wonderful or totally horrible neckbeard a neared yeah well, hey, we thought we'd talk about Horace Greeley because he has something to do with elections. Makes sense, right? He not only was a really prolific businessman throughout his life, but he also ran for multiple public offices, including the presidency. And we'll get to all that. But first, let's start with his childhood, Jason. Yeah, so Horace Greeley, he was born on February the 3rd, 1811, and that was on a farm about five miles outside of Amherst, New Hampshire. And get this, Ben, he could not breathe for the first 20 minutes of his life. And it is suggested that this issue may have caused him to develop Asperger's syndrome. Uh, Some of his biographers have said that this condition would account for just a few of the eccentricities about him. Yeah, and there were certainly a lot of those, which I'm sure we'll get to, but uh, he, he was the son of some poor farmers, and you know they weren't very successful. They moved all around. They moved to Pennsylvania. They moved to Massachusetts and New Hampshire and everything, and Horace is like, I'm tired of moving around, but I'm a pretty good student, and you know things go well for him after that because some of his neighbors actually offered to pay for Horace to go to the Phillips Exeter Academy. But his parents were like, nah, we're not going to accept your charity. Ooh. So in 1820, uh, Horace's dad, he's got some financial issues going on. He's about to be thrown into prison because of some debt that he has in New Hampshire. So they moved to Vermont. And as his father is struggling with making a living, Horace is like, hey, books, I want to read you. I want to read everything that I possibly can. So the Greeleys have this neighbor who is going to let Horace just go nuts in his library. And Horace is reading. And by 1822, he runs away from home to become a printer's apprentice. And he's told, sorry, dude, you're too young. Or not sorry, dude, sorry, little guy. Because <laughs> at this point, he's only like 12 or 13 years old. Yeah, 
he loved books so much that he wanted to print them, which is pretty cool. And uh, it wasn't just a, a fleeting desire because in 1826, four years later, he's 15 years old and he tries to get another job as a printer's apprentice. And he does. And he's the apprentice to the editor of the Northern Spectator. And this is where he kind of learns how, you know, what, what a printer does, how a printer works. He becomes known as the Town Encyclopedia, which uh, probably had something to do with the fact that he basically would read the library in town all the time. And then uh, after the newspaper closed, he went out west to Erie, Pennsylvania, where his family lived. Yeah, so he's in Erie just a little while, and he's going from town to town to seek employment, preferably with the newspaper. So he gets hired by the Erie Gazette. And even though he has all of these great ambitions, he's like, I'm going to help out dad. I'm going to, I'm going to give him some support. So he's there for a couple of years. And, and in late 1831, he's like, see a fam. <laughs> I'm going to New York because if I can make it there, I can make it anywhere. So I'm going to go and make a fortune. And there's a ton of young printers there who are just like him. So he can only find short-term work. Well, you know, they say in New York, you can be a new man. So I can understand why he would have gone there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in 1832, in <laughs> that's right. In 1832, he uh, worked for the spirit of the times and he Worked there long enough to get enough money to set up a print shop for himself. And then he worked alongside Horatio Shepard and edited a daily newspaper, which was called the New York Morning Post and also was not a success. So uh, he lost a lot of money. He felt kind of bummed out, of course. And then he was just like, well, I'm going to I'm going to print this one other thing three times a week and. I'm just going to put the lottery lottery results in there. I know people are going to want to see those, so it'll sell. Yeah, of course. So by the time 1834 rolls around, he publishes the first issue of The New Yorker. He does this in partnership with Jonas Winchester. And The New Yorker was less expensive than other magazines, and it had a lot of contemporary ditties and political commentary and the circulation actually reaches 9,000 and that's a pretty sizable number, but the economy just goes south. The panic of 1837 comes and well, it falls victim and it's yeah. out. So poor horse. It's, it's the economy is stupid. That's where this came from, right? Obviously. Yeah, of course. So later on, we, we know that Horace is involved in a lot of politics, but that all may have started whenever he was in charge of publishing the news sheet for the Whig Party in New York. And uh, the 1834 campaign was coming along, and Horace is publishing these sheets, helping print them. And he's like, wow, I believe in a lot of these positions. I think free markets with government assistance is good. It'll help develop the nation. So, yeah, he's kind of a Whig guy now. Yeah. So there he is doing his wig thing, doing wig business. <laughs> if you don't know what a wig is, uh, go back a couple episodes. We talk about the wigs. They're not just people who wore powdered wigs with ponytails and stuff. Although some of them may have. Yeah, of course. So he moves to New York, right? And 
he meets this girl, and her name is Mary Young Cheney. And they're both living at this boarding house. And at the boarding house, they are living out these dietary principles um, from Sylvester Graham. And this sounds very dull (laughs) because they're like, (laughs) no meat, no alcohol, no coffee, no tea and spices, and no tobacco. So Greeley was like, this sounds awesome. And (laughs) he's pretty much a vegetarian for the rest of his life. But, um, you know, I'm sure he thought, hey, Mary, you're pretty sweet. Let's get married. So by 1836, they get married in North Carolina. And she takes another teaching job up in New York City. So the New Yorker, the paper he runs, was that if you're unemployed, you should maybe just leave. Just leave town. Uh, Sounds harsh, but it was a reality for a lot of people. They couldn't make it here in the East, so why not go to the West? And, uh, well, it's a pretty harsh winter in the mid-30s, and the financial crisis comes along and makes it even worse for everybody. So Horace Greeley is like, hey, fly, scatter through the country, go to the Great West, anything rather than remain here. The West is the true destination. Yeah, you can imagine what city life was like in a crowded city in the 1830s. I mean, you've got smelly sewers, right? You got meat that is going bad and all kinds of issues with city life back then. So go West. And um, yeah, like Ben said, your energy and industry will be rewarded if you do so. So 1840 comes along and Horace Greeley sees the Whig candidate for president, William Henry Harrison. And he's like, I like this guy. I think I'm going to help him out. So he publishes the Whig periodical named The Log Cabin and actually wrote a lot of the William Henry Harrison songs that were like, you know, in favor of him. They kind of helped out on the campaign trail and they were sung at, you know, different meetings and, um, just kind of got stuck in people's brains. So when you'd think, who should I vote for? Oh, yeah, there's a guy named William Henry Harrison. I'll vote for him. And yeah. uh, Horace Greeley, he wrote those songs. Yeah. The whole Tippanute Canoe and Tyler, too. It's pretty amazing. So by the end of the 1840 campaign, the log cabin circulation had risen to 80,000. And Greeley's like, I'm going to start this daily newspaper called the New York Tribune. And you got to understand, New York had a lot of newspapers. And um, James Gordon Bennett's New York Herald was huge. It had a circulation of about 55,000. And this publication had more readers than is competition combined. So uh, the internet... I think there were eight people on the internet by this time. Mm-hmm. So it was still pretty scarce, but it became a lot easier to produce newspapers. So Greeley's like, Hey friends, I need some money. And his friends are like, well, of course, here you go. And they publish the first edition of the Tribune in 1841. And that was the day of a memorial parade in New York 
for President Harrison, who had died recently and was replaced by President Tyler. Jason, that first week of the New York Tribune did not go so well. They uh, brought in $92 and they spent $525. And I mean, this is at a penny a piece, so they're still selling quite a few papers. But, uh, you know, it's it's pretty expensive to run a paper, and especially if you're not known already. So you can understand why they wouldn't have had many sales the first week, but they certainly didn't have enough to uh, to really prod them further ahead and make them think this was totally the right decision. The One of the assistants at the paper was Greeley's assistant. Uh, his name is Henry Raymond who, uh, oh, I don't know, about 10 years later, founds a little paper called the New York Times you may have heard of. And, well, that that kind of makes Greeley a little bit angry. Yeah. So he's like, I need some cash flow going on. So Greeley sells a half interest of the Tribune to attorney Thomas Meckelrath, who actually became the publisher of the Tribune. So Greeley is the editor, and um, McElrath runs the business side. So the Tribune is, you know, again, kind of a a Whig-leaning paper. And who do we know is a Whig and who they may have supported for the presidency? None other than Henry Clay. Yeah, so the Tribune is all about Henry Clay, and Greeley is like, you know what? You know what's going to really set me apart from the competition? I'm going to have a full-time correspondent in Washington, D.C. Of course, all of his rivals were like, oh, we should do that too. But (laughs) what Greeley wanted to do was make the Tribune have a more national scope, not just local. So one of the big factors in getting the paper published published nationally was the Weekly Tribune. So in September of 1841, while the Log Cabin and the New Yorker uh, merge, the subscription price is $2 a year. And this, these publication, this publication was sent to many people across the U.S. by mail, and this became especially popular in the Midwest. And by the time December of 1841, so keep in mind, That happened in September when all of this happened. By December, Greeley was offered to become the editor of the National Whig newspaper called the Madisonian. And he's like, I demand full control. And they were like, no. And he said, never mind. I don't want to have anything to do with you. (laughs) Yeah. And you kind of see the relationship growing apart a little bit for a little while. He initially had supported the Whig program in his paper, but, uh, you know, as Henry Clay and President Tyler have a few more disagreements and there become more divisions, he he really went all on board with Henry Clay. So Clay and Tyler having some disagreements and Clay ends up losing the nomination for the Whig party. And in the 1840s, shortly after that, or during that same period of time, Horace Greeley says, hey, uh, slavery keeps expanding. I'm not in favor of that. Could we, could we knock it off? And becomes an outspoken person in favor of not expanding slavery. Or I guess I should say an opponent of the expansion of slavery. 
Yeah. Keep in mind in this era, uh, and we're going to see this for over the next couple of decades, it's not just Greeley's opinion that slavery should be contained. It's that slavery is wrong. So in November of 1848, there is a Democrat in New York who is a congressman. His name is David Jackson, and he gets unseated for election fraud. Oops. And he was actually, yeah, oops. He was actually going to be done in March of 1849, so only, what, three, four months there. But Congress gets together in December, and they're like, uh, well, we need somebody to sit in the seat in December. Yeah, so they select Greeley, and he's like, but wait a second. <laughs> uh, this congressional district is mostly Irish-American, and Greeley's like, yeah, I support Irish independence from Great Britain, and um, okay, I guess I'll represent you well, but he's only in, he's only in Congress for three months. And he's doing all kinds of stuff. He's probably the most productive congressman ever. Uh, you've heard of Parkinson's law, like that the amount of work you have doesn't change based upon the time you have. Like mm -hmm. you could work for eight hours or you could work for four hours. You're going to get the same amount accomplished. Well, that kind of happens with Greeley. Uh, he's only in the house for three months, but he's introducing legislation uh, like, um, uh, for instance, the Homestead Act that would allow settlers who improve land that they could be able to purchase that for lower rates. And he really made a lot of enemies because he was all about going after corruption. He probably would not like a lot of the bills that we see now. He tried to change the name of our country from the United States to Columbia. <laughs> uh, he wanted to abolish slavery in the District of Columbia. Uh, he just wanted to do a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, the only real thing that happened when he was a congressman that kind of stuck around, well, I can't say the only thing, but one of the big things that stuck around was uh, he was got to be friends with Abraham Lincoln, who happened to also be in the House at that time. Yeah. So uh, Greeley serves out his long three-month term, and he goes back to New York, and his the Tribune is just rocking it. I mean, it's very highly influential. It's being circulated all over the place. Um, Bayard Taylor, who was a journalist, said that um, the influence of the Tribune in the Midwest was second only to that of the Bible. And um, yeah, they even called him St. Horace. Okay, so we're going to skip ahead just a little bit to the 1860 presidential campaign. And Senator William Seward and uh, Horace Greeley, they're kind of friends. They're at least cordial with each other. But Greeley, he never really plans on supporting him. He knows he's going to run for the Republican nomination for president. And instead, Horace Greeley pretty much tries to get Edward Bates, a representative from Missouri, and someone who had freed their slaves and who was an opponent of slavery. He pretty much tries to get him to be the nominee. And 
Greeley kind of takes all of his influence in the world. He uses his newspapers. He uses his speeches and his conversation, probably his status as a three-month congressman, you know, gets you a lot of attention. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and basically pushes Bates as hard as he can. Yeah. So you got this dark horse candidate whose name is Abraham Lincoln. And Lincoln comes to New York. He's giving an address at Copper Union. And Greeley's like, hey, readers, go listen to Lincoln. And Greeley's like, hey, I think Lincoln would be a very good vice president. So the convention <laughs> rolls around a little bit later in Chicago. And he's like, I'm all about getting Bates elected. And he would lose to Seward. And Greeley's like, I do not want Seward to be elected. So I am going to stand by Lincoln. And so Lincoln comes out of nowhere. And it's largely because of Horace Greeley that Lincoln becomes the Republican candidate for president in 1860. Man, that's insane. It's like this guy that most people never learn about in their history class is incredibly influential and, you know, one of the most beloved presidents kind of owes his presidency to this guy. But uh, anyway, shortly after Lincoln became the president, he says, hey, everybody, Seward, he's actually going to be my secretary of state, which means he cannot be up for reelection to the Senate. So it's kind of interesting because Lincoln was all about preserving the union. And Greeley was all about abolishing slavery. And Lincoln was going to do anything that he could to preserve that union. You just cannot have that happen. And Ben, this was really eye-opening to me because Greeley at one point says, you know what, if the Southern states want to leave the union, then let them go. Let them go in peace. Um, the right to secede might be a revolutionary idea, but hey, why not? And he was that much against slavery where he's like, just let him go. But Lincoln wasn't having that. And so it's kind of interesting because once um, Lincoln does issue the um, Gettysburg Address and then the Emancipation Proclamation, Greeley's like, okay, I will tolerate supporting you in the future, but I just, I just want to let you know, I don't like slavery. It shouldn't be tolerated. Yeah. Whoops. Uh, that also came back to haunt him a little bit whenever he was running for the presidency, which yeah, we'll move on to that, I suppose. In 1871, there's a new party called the Liberal Republican Party, and it's actually founded in opposition directly to President Grant. And, you know, there's a lot of discussion about Grant being corrupt and uh, a lot of things he stood for that other people didn't like and things he didn't stand for that people wanted him to stand for. But basically, like, Grant's, Grant's reputation is just kind of tarnished by the end of things. So right. they need a new candidate. Right. So he's got some competition, Greeley does, to get the liberal Republican nomination. But... Greeley gets it, and um, there's a lot we could say about that. But 
the Democrats are doing their thing. They've got their convention in Baltimore and they're like, do we support this guy that we otherwise would never support being Greeley? Or do we just keep the status quo and be our democratic selves? And what ends up happening is Greeley secures the liberal Republican nomination, but he also secures the Democratic nomination, all to defeat Grant. Yeah, so this is the first time that one guy gets nominations from two different political parties because they're both like, well, we don't want to split the vote, so we might as well do that. And Greeley's like, all right, I'm running for president. I'm resigning my position as editor of the Tribune, at least for now, by the way. And uh, hey, I'm going to go on a speaking tour. I'm going to go out and tell people my message. I don't care that it's not socially acceptable for me to actively campaign. I am going to seek the office. So you're President Grant, and you've got Horace Greeley running against you. Basically, two parties against the incumbent. Two men, three parties, one incumbent, and Horace Greeley. And there's some corruption going on in the Grant administration, and you can hear more about that in our podcast about the 1872 election. But what you need to know for this is Greeley's chugging along pretty well. And he's he's looking like he does have a chance against Grant. But Greeley's wife, Mary, she comes back from a trip to Europe in late June. And she's pretty sick. And by October, she dies. October 30th, she dies. And of course, he's devastated. And he's not able to get out there and campaign and really do anything. So he's grieving and Grant wins the election. Yeah. So Greeley decides that, well, I might as well go back and be the editor of the Tribune. But the problem is all his buddies are there and they want to unseat him. They want to get rid of him. So he can't sleep. He uh, goes to the Tribune one last time on November 13th, which is just a week after the election. And they're like, hey, you need some medical care. And a family physician says he should go to an asylum in Pleasantville, New York. And he gets worse and worse, and he dies on November 29th. And uh, a lot of people say he died from a broken heart, not only from his wife, but from losing the election in the way that he did. Yeah. So he's dead. Grant has won the election, but he's still the candidate. So this poses a very interesting question. What do you do when a presidential candidate dies before the electoral college vote? So what happens is he's got 66 electoral votes in the election. They get divided among the four other candidates from the liberal Republican Party. So they get divided between the Indiana governor-elect Thomas Hendricks and Greeley's vice presidential running mate, who was Benjamin Gratz Brown. So pretty much what happens is your party gets to decide what happens with your electoral votes. Yeah, yeah. And apparently 
other people get to decide everything for you once you die because Greeley had actually requested that he just get a simple funeral and, you know, not a big deal about everything. And his daughters just ignored that and had this giant affair, you know, this giant party, basically, and gave him a large, a very large uh, burial plot. And um, he's got a giant statue on top of his plot. If you go and take a look there in Brooklyn's Greenwood Cemetery, you'll you'll be able to find it. He, it's the guy who looks green and has a neck beard. Yeah, it's pretty epic. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting because, and we've talked about this a little bit with Lincoln, when he was assassinated, Lincoln's popularity went through the roof. I mean, he wasn't very popular, <laughs> let's just face it. Before he dies, Lincoln was thought to perhaps not even get the Republican nomination for president, right? which Greeley was very influential in that election. But Greeley was not too favorably looked upon until he dies. It can be best summed up by Henry Ward Beecher, who wrote in the Christian Union, quote, when Horace Greeley died, unjust and hard judgment of him died also. So there you have it. You know, Ben, earlier in the podcast, we were talking about some of the eccentricities of Horace Greeley, and it does go beyond the neck beard, sure. It goes beyond uh-huh. the way he dressed, but some of the positions that he held to and some of the ways that he tried to live his life out, like, you know, everything from let's have a, a commune, <laughs> let's yeah. let's study Marx a little bit. But oh yeah, you're you're a great defender of democracy. Right, yeah. Some of his views are kind of a little goofy. He certainly doesn't line up with the political parties that he supported, at least not a hundred percent. I guess you could make the statement that not anyone lines up a hundred percent, but uh he certainly was looked at in a different light before death and after death. And believe it or not, he was pretty well liked when he was alive, just not well enough to win the presidency. So it's kind of interesting. He wrote a huge two-volume book called The American Conflict, A History of the Great Rebellion in the United States of America. Very detailed and uh, interesting perspective. I have only looked over it quickly, which is not going to do it any justice. But um, yeah, he definitely uh, had an impact in his world during his time. And to be quite frank, a lot of us don't know a lot about Horace Greeley. Yeah. I think the closest I ever came, I think there's a a school named after him somewhere. And I looked him up one time and then quickly dismissed him when I found out that I'd never heard of him for sure. Yeah. Weird. The neck beard is what drew me to him. (laughs) And and he's also the only candidate to have ever died between, and we, we mentioned this kind of, who have died between the popular vote and the electoral vote. And that's something that has been discussed many times. It's something that's kind of happened with other like senators and congressmen where they get voted in and then they die before they actually take office. But this was even a little more different than that. So just kind of an interesting guy with a lot of oddities and had a huge impact on well, America as we know it, for that matter. Definitely. Hey, you know what has had an impact on America? Election College? Of course. So we are 101 cool. episodes into this 
awesome podcast with awesome listeners, and we really appreciate each and every one of you. Please interact with us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And uh, hey, why not head over to iTunes and give us a rating? We really appreciate reading reviews. Ben gets a little giddy. He does a happy dance. And I have to admit, I do too, whenever a new review comes in. It's also great to log on to Amazon and see that people have been clicking on our link or just typing in our link directly. Our link for Amazon is electioncollege.com slash Amazon. And if you go there or bookmark that site, whatever you want to do, every time you're going to buy something on Amazon, you won't pay up anymore and we'll get a little something from it. So come on, if you've been listening, you know about this by now and we know you people are shopping on Amazon. So go ahead over, give your money to Uncle Ben and Uncle Jason. Even as creepy as that sounds. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everybody. We will see you next time. See ya. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.